thank you so much to our new Patreon subscribers, Ed Zicals, Sam, Anthony Caruso, Sarah, Daddy Frick, Nicholas Cox, and Kaylee. You are the honey bunches to our oats. If you'd like to support Book Reviews Kill and gain access to exclusive full-length episodes, deleted scenes, videos, and monthly giveaways, please click on the link in the description for this episode. Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Chad. And I'm Evan. And you are listening to the Monday Morning Minute. And this week in fictional news, according to HBO, the first episode of The Last of Us, it was HBO's second biggest premiere since 2010, drawing 4.7 million viewers. Good for The Last of Us. That's great. It seems like they put a lot of love into that show. Yeah. Um, That's a great story. Hell yeah, that's awesome. It's good to see. And they needed to because that is a very beloved game. Like there are millions of gamers who are are all over that game. It's my brother's favorite game of all time. Oh, really? Which is saying something because he's a pretty avid gamer. And like I think it kind of falls into the category of gamers that really like a deep, meaningful, emotional story. Totally. I imagine he probably doesn't have like a ton of time for video games so like he kind of gravitates towards the ones that are going to hit the hardest right totally yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got yeah. four kids and you know the, Jeez, i didn't know he, what he yeah, four, he i pumped, didn't know that he bumped out another in the last like <laughs> nine months or so. i always get confused when i see the last one i'm like who's baby this because like, <laughs> like my sister has two now and it's like there's just so many so many children the klein clan groweth but uh, I watched the first episode of the last of us kind of leading into what i've done for the week uh, i'll just start there and oh, man cool. It was awesome. So I've only ever played before you send me a bunch of like hate filled emails. I (laughs) was borrowing it uh, from my brother and he had some time off and wanted to play again. So I gave it back to him, which is why I'm going to blame me not finishing it. But I played about half of it. And the first episode was awesome. And it was it tracked the story of the game like very close, as close as could be expected for transferring something from game format into watching format. There was even a lot of scenes that were like, scene for scene that I was like, oh, this is like exactly that scene from the show. The cut scenes were like recreated with people. It was just done excellently, in my opinion. Yeah, I saw some uh, screenshots of it where it was like literally like the same wall, the same bricks, the same shirt, everything. Yeah, the same graffiti art in the background, like just wow. everything to pull you into the world that the game did, the show did. And man, it, they it hit hard it hit very hard and casting pedro pascal as joel like what what an awesome choice what an absolutely yes. excellent they didn't just get some like like old gruff dude you know and like you know what I mean? it's like it's like let's get pedro pascal he's awesome It'll, he'll be perfect uh i still haven't watched it um because i have a, I have a mixed past with the last of us because it's like it's one it's one of my brother's favorite games too and I can totally appreciate that it's a it is a good game. You know what I mean? I'm oh, not yeah. like I'm not like oh that's a crappy game. But I don't know for some reason like the uh, the story was really gripping for sure. But the, I couldn't get into the gameplay very much. It just felt like it was just it was too bossy. You know what I mean? It was like all right, you have to go stealth mode now. And it's like I don't, right, I don't right. really want to. <laughs> it was but anyway, too bossy. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it's very nitpicky, like video gamey stuff. You know, um, that doesn't matter. But it's just personal preference. But. I'm not. I'm also not a very big fan of watching adaptations without having uh, read the source material or gone mm-hmm. through the source material. So I have The Last of Us remastered for PS4. You purist, uh, you. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna play it because I, I know it's good. I'm just like, 
I don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of an ass about video games. And like once I get in my head that I don't like something, I'm like, I'm never going to try that again. But that's I did that with Dark Souls where like my brother let me uh, the first Dark Souls and I tried it for like half an hour. And I was like, this is the dumbest game I've ever played. I can't stand <laughs> this. You know what I mean? And I just thought of all the reasons why I didn't like it. And uh, then I tried Dark Souls 2 and I was just like, this is, I, why do people do this? Like, why do this is the dumbest thing? I can't Pain. believe. Seriously. And then. I played, I played Dark Souls 3 and I was like, oh, okay. I think I get this. And then I, <laughs> I played all of them, you know? So I think with The Last of Us, it might be that situation. Something mm. that's that highly acclaimed, you know, I think it's worth a playthrough. You don't necessarily have to agree with its acclaim, but I think it's worth giving more than, because I don't think I put more than like an, an hour or two into it, you know? Like, yeah. there's a lot of cutscenes. There's a lot of cutscenes in so it. Yeah, I mean, many. you know, it's also true at the same time of what you just said that, like, not all games are for all people, you know? So it's like, oh, yeah, while it's totally. a great game, you don't have to necessarily like it for you. They do a very good job in the game. And I was delighted to find that they do the same good job in the show of having, like, this danger around every corner at any instant feeling. Yeah. We were totally. just like, Kind of like, okay, like you're constantly tense. We're just like anything bad could happen. Everything bad could happen at any moment. And the show kind of captured that really well. I also thought it was really interesting when the event happens because it covers like day one of this plague, um, fungal plague taking over the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, Um, isn't that how the game, that's how the game starts too, right? He's with his daughter and okay, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, then it kind of sets up why he is the way that he is later yeah. on, you know? I thought it very interesting in the in the show and in the uh, game, but though I didn't notice this in the game, I think it's 2003, 2004, when it was, uh, when at the timeline of it, and it's pre-social oh. media. And so when everything bad is happening, and there's like cops racing by, and like carrier oh. jets and stuff going like over them, they're, everyone's just kind of like, what is going on? And they like go back inside, like whatever. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. we would be looking we, at our phones like know what's happening right yeah. now you know and it was kind of like reminded me not to take for uh, granted the blessing that is you know news traveling just Instantly. lickety split yeah you know it's kind of cool well i've got my playstation hooked up to my monitor in my office here for you know when i want to take breaks from doing stuff and i think i'm just gonna install the last of us and give it a go i think it's time i'm just gonna do it i want to watch the yeah. show like i think i just if pedro pascal's in it yeah. Yeah. He has one of the rare like qualities in acting too, which is hard to do and even harder to find, which is he can give you entire conversations of thought and emotional spectrum without saying anything, which is important oh, because yeah. Joel's kind of like the salt, the strong silent type, you know? And he has like so much emotions and depth to him, but without words and yeah. Or few words, uh, at least. Well, yeah, with few words. And Pedro Pascal, he, Pascal, am I saying that right? Pedro Pascal? I think it's Pascal, um, yeah. Pascal, yeah. He is. He captures that perfectly, and he has this face that you can just, like, learn so much about what's going on inside him without him having to say anything, you know? And that's a rare talent as an actor, I feel like. Did you know that he's the Mandalorian in, Mandal- in the Mandalorian what? show? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's wow, cool. they were yeah. wondering if he could like get that same feel a whole lot without any um like words through the face, <laughs> you know, through the face mask that he wears. I know we're kind of going on a tear about TV shows, but uh, speaking of the Mandalorian, um, I think it's really impressive the amount of emotion they were able to evoke out of like me and other people with a person with no face. You know what right? I mean? Like it's really like um, you ever played Destiny Two? 
Like there's a lot of cutscenes where um, there's like characters that have like masks on. You can't really see their facial expressions, so it looks really weird when they're talking to each other. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's a, it's like kind of a mix of like not not that great of dialogue with no facial features. So it's like right. what what's going on here? Like what am I supposed <laughs> to latch out to? But with the Mandalorian, they, uh, even when um, other bounty hunters are talking to each other and they're both masked, it's it it feels fine. It feels fluid and good. You know, and emotional still. It's kind of incredible yeah. that they can do that really like yeah because your main character is very literally expressionless (laughs) and that he has a mask that blocks everything over his entire face the entire time and baby yoda he is a a um has a litany of emotions in his facial expressions which is all cgi so it's really impressive emotional work on every front what else have you been up to this week besides watching the last of us uh i finished the second book in the live ship traders and Robin Hobb is a master of her craft. Oh, yeah. She builds these yep. characters that are believable, understandable, even her bad guys. You're like, I get why they're doing what they're doing. Like, for sure, they have very well fleshed out motivations. And then I think probably one thing I love and like also like hate her for is she just puts those characters after describing them and making you love them and understand them and get them so well. She just destroys them just puts them yeah. through the rigors and every book i've ever read from her she just her characters suffer yeah she kind of reminds me of george r. r martin in that way sometimes uh, it's really <laughs> interesting because uh, her and george r. r martin have like a really popular um interview that they do together like a conversation that they have together that's in like an auditorium um Ooh. or something and it's a really i think there's a moderator that asks some questions but they talk to each other too and it's on youtube you can just type in Robin Hobb, George R. R. Martin conversation or interview or whatever. And, I would love uh, to see that. It's really cool. They talk about writing. They talk about so many different things, and they're both so well spoken and you know ruthless with their characters and yeah. the way that they build everything out and their world building. It's just ah, they're both so fantastic. And she is. I mean, I prefer Robin Hobb over George R. R. Martin personally, but Same. it's a very close. It's super close. But Robin yep. Hobb, Robin Hobb, Robin Hobb has this touch i don't know what it is it's just like it just flows so easily like you, it doesn't feel like you're reading and i know that that's like a kind of done thing to say about books you know it's like a but you don't feel like it, it doesn't feel like you're reading anything you're just glancing no, you off the words through her yeah. story oh, and they're long like those the live yeah. ship trader books are long like really long yeah they're they're not short books uh and they're not short stories either they're just deep in like every way and her character work is fantastic and then all made all the more awesome by the suffer that they go through like you really experience the story through the eyes of her characters and feel what they're feeling mm-hmm. even like i said the ones that you don't like i feel like, like i was well, looking I forward you. to the characters that i didn't like when i was reading those yeah yeah like every yeah yeah I, well now i'm kind of remembering it <laughs> yeah you kind of like <laughs> cheer for where for their success even though you also like hate them so much yeah, just the things that one one character in particular. Every time he comes up, and like just everything he says is just like I just want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love Kenneth. Oh it's man, so I love cool. him. But boy, Oof. yeah, just infuriating <laughs> sometimes. You know. Yes, and then uh, let's see what else have I done. Oh, I finished, um, which we'll get into later this week, of course. But I finished the Wind Through the Keyhole earlier hey. today, and like I said, we'll get into it later. So I don't want to go into it in depth here but i gotta say as far as like enjoyment factor of all of the dark tower books this one was very close to my favorite if not my favorite whoa cool yeah though it has nothing to do really with the story like it's literally a story within a story 
And within then, a story. Within a story, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's deeper and it's deeper. Like, like, come like, on, oh my King. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, even someone within the story, within the story, starts to tell a story. I know, and I was like, it's I... going in another level. <laughs> it's like, like that one's over pretty quick. But I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, storyception. Um, it, man, it's it's a page turner, and it's oh, yeah. like I think one of the most fantasy fantasy books that he has written. But you it's like a western too. Thing. Yeah, but I guess like, like, like a western like could still be a fantasy, obviously. But um, yeah, just that that kind of yeah. like western vibe, and then like a a story being told. From like to a, a in a in like a jail cell, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. While well, he's so like perfect. smoking his little roll. Right. <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, and it's violent and bloody, and like I said, it's very magical. Like the story within the story, at least, is like very almost like a fairy tale kind of. It, but it is a fairy tale. Yeah, it's one that his mom had been telling him. We can go into it in another episode. We're getting carried away here. But, yeah, and uh, I think it has some like call outs to the, the man in black and the main storyline yeah. as well. Like I think so anyway. So I'm really excited to talk with you more in depth um, about that. So and that'll uh, be our last Dark Tower episode. And I know. It was sad. It was very sad. When I finished it, I was just like, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, now you're I'm done. sad about that. Yeah. Now we're done. I am. Anyway, what have you been up to this week? Uh, I also finished, went through the keyhole. It's awesome. I'm happy to have finished the Dark Tower in its total entirety. Um, but I'm also, yeah, it's just, I haven't had a book hangover this this bad in a while. Same. Um, I think after Senlin Ascends, it was pretty rough. Uh, after yeah. Green, Greenbone was difficult to say goodbye to those characters for sure. But this one, because uh, this is my second read through, so yeah. Uh, but I hadn't read Went Through the Keyhole, so we'll have a cool episode because we both haven't read that, so that'll be nice. I am also very excited to go over a book with you of The Dark Tower that you have not read, too, so that'll be a really yeah. good cap to the story as a whole, you know? Though I am... It is with great sadness. That's that okay. Because we uh, we're about to start the Texacallan duology by Arcady Martin, and I started the first book in that duology, uh, A Memory Called Empire. It's cool. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, um, I'm like 40 pages into I started it uh, this morning. Okay. So I'm like 40 pages into it. Um, the prelude was really great. This first chapter that I'm in is really great. Um, I can tell already that I th- there's a glossary in the back, which I'm glad I'm telling you now because when Thank we you. read the first Lycanius book, you didn't know there was a glossary. No, it. I didn't. I was like trying to, I'm creating my own like dramatis personae yeah, like glossary and just trying to stay up with the things and still somehow being confused like a fool. Um, but yeah, with Texacallan, um, I can definitely tell there's a lot, there's a lot of terms in here and words and terms and names and stuff are spelled very strangely. There's like a lot of apostrophes like, in the middle of words. Mostly it's mostly consonants that in English are never put together are mm. put together. So it's like in my brain, I don't know how to sound those out, you know, um, but okay. it lends a lot to it feeling foreign and feeling like this whole different thing too. So that's really nice. It's a clever usage of those consonants. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. I think it's going to take me a little bit to kind of understand like what it's about and like what's going on. It's, I think I have a grasp on what it is, but I think it's obviously going to get a lot more expansive and, um, I looked up some spoiler-free reviews and stuff for it, and um, people seem like they either had trouble with the duology and that it was pretty slow and political and a little grindy, you know? Mm. But then a bunch of other people, so the majority of the reviews that I saw was that it was beautiful, the world-building is excellent, there's a lot to 
pull out of that duology. So yeah, I'm excited to read it. It's really cool so far. The author is um, a arch, uh, archaeologist, maybe? A, it has something to do with history, Byzantine, I A Byzantine historian. Oh, wow, that's specific. Yeah. So that, and it kind of, it's not, it kind of gave me like a Steven Erickson kind of, like, okay, so you know what you're doing. Right, right. that's kind of on for anyone right, who exactly. Know. Yeah, and I think Steven Erickson is an archaeologist yes. or anthropologist or something. And I think um, he's both. Oh, <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> lots so of our, pottery. Yeah, Arcady Martin um, is you know very schooled and learned when it comes to a lot of this kind of content that she's putting in these books. So I'm really excited to delve into it. I think I'm just gonna like keep a notebook by me and kind of take more extensive notes than I probably would have, so we can get the best possible podcast. Because I don't want us to just. You're like, that was cool, but I don't know yeah. what was going on. You know, that's new not word, a very good word. episode. What? Yeah. Um, and then I'm also, I finished Pride and Prejudice, which is, I'm going to make a, I think I'm going to make a podcast episode about it, like a short one. I'll review it on TikTok and Instagram and stuff. Um, wow. I'm so happy I read it. Man. Is there a reason that it's a 200 year old book that is highly acclaimed still? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, actually. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so it's funny because um, I really enjoyed the story. I really enjoyed uh, Elizabeth Bennett. The main character is awesome. Mr. Darcy, great. Like watching, watching that whole situation. Uh, like a lot of the other, like Jane is really great. Uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Bennett's dad is uh, like hilarious. You know, there's a lot of really funny moments in that book. Um, it, there's times where it reads really modern, like it, like like the subject matter, like what they're talking about and how they're feeling could have been in a book that was published today about today, you know, which yeah. was really, it was like comforting almost. It was really nice to read about like, yeah, these problems have just been around. It doesn't matter what time it's in, you know, like some, so like some people just kind of like cool on you sometimes and you're anxious about it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you feel a certain way about somebody, but then you learn more about them and then you're like, oh, maybe they're pretty cool. And, Huh. It's like it's probably been happening since before the 1800s too. You know, like I, it got me thinking of like, okay, were people in like the 1100s like dealing with this kind of stuff too? And you know, right. with different context, obviously, and different um, kind of like cultural standards and norms and things like that, obviously. But a lot of the same kind of like inner vague feelings about other people and relationships and things like that. So yeah, it was it was really good. Um, I will say. Um, it was a little bit of a chore to read. And I think that's a consequence of like my own reading habits and a lot of the contemporary genre fiction I've been reading. It's all very like efficient and you know, it's just, it's not easy to read, but it's, it's mostly clear, you know? Um, and so because this is so old, there's just kind of like stuff. There's like commas in weird places that where I'm like, uh, I have to like go back and read a sentence. Cause I just in, in my head reading it, I like paused at that comma and it's like, you don't need to or something right uh, and then okay. there's uh like i didn't know what the word felicity meant until i started reading this book but she uses it constantly I, and can you uh, uh illuminate? like uh, like somebody's somebody's felicity in a situation is like they're the amount of like happiness that like they're they're ecstatic they're really happy about something oh okay um, but i didn't know what that was and uh so i so i read it the first time and i was like i think context like contextually i, I know what that word means so whatever and then i saw it again and i was like I think I know what it means. And I saw it again and I was like, why did you, okay, I need to look this up. Like she's obviously going to use this word a million times in this book. So, and it was like that with, um, it's just funny how there's words that are used, uh, in English that have kind of over the years, you know, over a couple hundred years, um, either lost some of their meaning or gained a completely different meaning. Um, like, like condescending 
today means you're being kind of like rude to somebody. It's got a negative connotation to it. Totally, like patronizing and right. But it and it did back then, I think too. But it, like she also uses it in different ways as well. Like like condescend almost in like almost in like a way that somebody decided to do something that they didn't really want to do. You know what I mean? Well, he so, condescends to do so exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like and it's like you could still use the word in that way today. It's like a verb. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but it's like we don't really use the word. Sometimes we do, but it's very rare. It's not as right. it's not as usual or as frequent as we would use condescending in, in the term in the way that it's used today. Right. Like I would condescend to clean the bathroom. Right. And it's like if you right. said that to me, we were roommates or something. I'd be like, all right, why would you use that word? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So it, when I say it's a chore to read, I don't. I don't really mean like I had a really difficult time with it or anything. It was just it took me longer than a normal like three hundred sixty page book would take. Um, and I read like the intro and the appendices and things like that too. Um, so yeah, really happy I read it. I actually uh, listened to it on audiobook like a good like third of it, um, which was kind of in a weird way like easier. Because I, I mean, obviously, it's so easy to find an audiobook for Pride and Prejudice. It's two hundred years old. Like, <laughs> just go on YouTube, and it's right there. There's like a billion of them. Um, so I was kind of like on the fence about it, and I was like, let's just try it out. Like, it's I want to get whatever full experience I can with this book, and hearing it read to me might be kind of cool too. Like, if you're reading Shakespeare and like watching a movie or a play of that Shakespeare play that you're reading, um, and for some reason, the audio was a little bit easier to follow. Is interesting, like because it was being read to me. I don't know. Um, I think probably what that is is when you're reading, you tend to unless the story sucks you in, you kind of go into like um, the the like a zone, you know, where you're not even reading the words; yeah, you're just kind of yeah. going into it. Which it sounds like this was written in a way that it might have been hard to accomplish that, probably due to the old Englishy style and and punctuation. It but, happened, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't happening very often. Like I did right. have parts where I was just kind of gliding through it. Cause I mean, Jane Austen really was a fantastic writer. I mean, there's a reason, like I said a little bit ago that it stood a 200 year old test of time. I mean, she knew what she was doing. Absolutely. Totally. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like I'm, I didn't go to college. Like, right, right. <laughs> like well, you weren't born 200 trying, years ago. Yeah, like, I'm trying my best here. You know, like I just, I read like fantasy books, you know? not, right, not right. saying fantasy books are any, uh, more, like, I'm not saying fantasy books are more simple than their themes or whatever. Um, a lot of right. them are way more complex. And there's not like there's a lot to this book, but like the actual plot, you know what I mean, is like pretty straightforward. Which is weird because it felt longer <laughs> than it than it was because it's there's like whole chapters where, and they're important chapters too. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be there, but it's just there's a whole there's whole chapters where like Elizabeth walks into a room and somebody's just like. You you didn't have a, a housemaid growing up, like gross. And then <laughs> sure. that's the end of the chapter, and it's like, why was that? Okay, I mean, what? okay, that could, I feel like that could have been in another chapter, but whatever. Right. Um, anyway, well, I think that why that probably was, at least my hunch, is like when you're reading things, you tend to take it unless, like I said, you're in that um, zone mode. You tend to take it word by word, and then you piece together in a a uh, um, meaning to it. But when you're listening to things. You don't really like as you're listening to me talk, you're not like listening to me talk. You kind of listen to the sentence and then um, yeah. digest it as a whole concept. Totally. And so you probably it was easier to do that. I think probably hearing it just from the way that we hear differing from how we read. Hmm, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We're not like piecing the individual words together. We're just understanding it as a concept because we speak faster. Maybe I don't know, but that would be my hunch. 
Yeah, I'm really excited to read uh, Jane Eyre. I think I'm going to read Jane Eyre next month, but I, I don't know if I'm, I might read something a little shorter because we have a bunch of books to read we next have a month. A lot. We have a lot going on next month, and everybody, you'll find out more about what we've got going on next month. We got some really March. cool things. Coming. We've got some news for you. Yeah, some cool things are happening. Um, but Chad and I really need to like you know sit down and read and work on this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like we've been we've been doing all right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, like me getting sick really threw a wrench into some gears. Um, that wasn't great. Um, but yeah, we're back on track now. Texas Collins coming out soon. And then Inheritance by Christopher Paolini. The Expanse, the first episode of The Expanse is coming out on February 15th, as long as Chad and I keep to our schedule. Dream Blood duology after Inheritance while we're reading The Expanse. It's going to be great. So Ooh. excited. And then Faithful and the Fallen. Woo! We grew, we, we, BRK got struck with. COVID, but uh, it did not hold us back. We shall carry oh. forth uh, and continue this palaver one after another. <laughs> <laughs> Frig as can be. Uh, also, I'm, I'm not done with Babel 17 yet. Um, man. I don't know. I don't know, Chad. I'm not going <laughs> to DNF it because I'm like 40 pages from the end, you know? Right. But I can, I can do it. I don't, and it's not that I don't like it. It's like it started so strong and it was so cool and it was so interesting. And I was just like, I found my new favorite science fiction writer. This is so cool. And it's, it's too much. It's not, it's not too much. It's so spacey. It's like the spaciest thing I've ever read. Oh. And, and I, and not even spacey in like it takes place in space. No, it's like it's really heady and the conception like, spacey. Like, like Samuel Delaney is so, so smart. Like it's, it's a book about language and he's playing oh. around with the language and he's playing around. And I think I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I think I get it, but also I think I might be struggling a little bit with like how I get it. I'm right. pretty it's sure like I'm right there with it. written on like a satire of a satire uh, level. Man. Like it's so deep. Well, he's like using, he's using the, the narrative and like the structure of what he's doing. And I think he does it kind of in Dahlgren as well. It's a, which is a much longer book. It's like four times the size of this book, but, um, like, so I feel like with, at least with my initial experience with Delaney, he seems to have like this kind of like plot going and some weird things happening and weird descriptions for things. And then like the whole narrative of the book is like kind of saying something else too. And it's not necessarily mm. like, a, like a theme that's running through it. It's like the way he's like structuring the book and you know what I mean? It's right. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's like, it's one of the densest, like 200 page books I've ever read. And I'm going to get through it for sure. But um, yeah, my enjoyment level of it definitely dipped like quite a bit because I thought I was in for kind of just like some classic, like retro sci fi. Some sci fi. No, no. <laughs> Samuel Delaney um, really brought the heat <laughs> in this book. But I mean, if you're listening right now and you're, and you're interested in reading something super heady and spacey and deep and um, like playing around with language and like what is language and how do we interpret the words that we're saying and what do those words mean? And um, it's, it's a great sci-fi book by a true legend of the genre. And I've been meaning to get to Samuel Delaney for a, a while. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read Dahlgren because <laughs> in the beginning of Dahlgren, I read the, the first little part and like William Gibson is just like, I don't know what this book is about, but it's really cool. And it's just like not very motivating to read a 870 page book where the introduction says that one of the most lauded authors in the genre was like, I don't know what this was about, <laughs> but it was good. It's like, yeah, that's not enough of a commendation for me, Mr. Gibson. Like, sorry. Uh, but yeah, I'll probably read a little bit more. Um, 
<clears throat> Delaney, like he's got some nonfiction stuff. I was kind of keen on checking out and um, like a, a really new book called uh, through the Valley of the nest of spiders that came out like a few years ago that people seem to really enjoy. So yeah, uh, a little bummed out about it. I don't know. I just thought it would be, I thought it'd be a fun sci-fi romp and it kind of just, it's like holding me down and telling me how dumb I am, <laughs> which I don't like. I, I don't like feeling dumb. Uh, what else have I got going on? Um, I, <clears throat> I uh, am rewatching Game of Thrones, as you know. And so uh, my partner Effie was not into watching Game of Thrones. Uh, we've been dating for a little while, and throughout pretty much our entire relationship, I was like, "We got to watch Game of Thrones. Like, we got to watch it." In so fact, good. And, if I might interject to the yeah, one sure. part of the story that I have any involvement with, we were about to film an episode, not film, we're, well, film too, I guess. We were about to create an episode and Evan called me and was like, hey, my partner has finally agreed to watching the first episode of <laughs> Game of so Thrones. Excited. Can we do this tomorrow, make this episode tomorrow? And I was like, of course, man, because if you can get her to watch three episodes in a row, then you'll have a Game of Thrones partner for life, which would be, you know, fantastic. Oh, it so, took like uh, half of the first. I knew, like, when I, t- when I called you, I was like, I was like, we just got to get through this one. Like, I know right. if we just get through episode one, like, when Jamie pushes Bran out the way, and, and her, re- I just We're watching in. her reaction to like all these things, because she just had zero interest in the show. So there was no, she wasn't like part of any of the conversations about it or anything. So she doesn't know anything. Like she doesn't know anything at all. So in that light, <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> um, we were in, we were watching season three and we went over to my brother's house and Vaughn was like, let's watch the end of season three together because it's epic and we, we should all watch it together. And so uh, I don't know how Effie didn't put this together that something really messed up was going to happen because we were like going to a different place to watch it. Right, right. right. <laughs> So we like go over to Vaughn's house and we watch like we watch like episode seven and it's fine. We watch episode eight of season three and it's it's fine, you know. And we get through most of episode nine. Uh and like everybody's all chipper and it's a wedding, you know, and every, and even <laughs> like Rob Stark's wife is just like, Oh, I'm pregnant, it's a boy, and what should we name him? And like let's name him Eddard and you know, you want to teach Eddard to ride fuzzy. a horse and everything, and then um <clears throat> so she's she's just sitting there like totally enjoying it. Right. And, and in my head, I was like, all right, this is going to be bad. I know it's going to be bad, but I, I think, I think it'll be fine. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause everything else has been pretty okay. You know, she was really shocked at the end of season one and there's some other pretty shocking things, but you know, she was a trooper through it, you know? Um, so, so everything's pretty groovy until one of the phrase closes the doors to the hall. Mm-hmm. And then they start playing Rands of Castamere on like that cello. And if he's just like, what the hell's going on? And me and Vaughn are just silent, like absolute, like like poker face, breath. silent. And then uh, there's some other stuff going, on, like Arya's creeping around, and it's just sketchy, you know. And um, then Catelyn lifts up Roose Bolton's sleeve, and there's mail under the sleeve, right? And she like slaps Roose Bolton, and Effie was just like, "What the hell is going on?" And then just all hell breaks loose. And so Vaughn and I are watching this. And this is like the fifth time I've seen it. And I'm just like, whoa, this is crazy. And I'm like kind of checking on Effie, but she's just got like her hands on either side of her face with her mouth like wide open. And <laughs> it's like a perfect response to this episode. So we keep watching, we keep watching, we keep watching it. And then, uh, you know, the last part of it happens, credits, no music, nothing. And I looked over at Effie and she's like curled in a ball 
on the couch. Oh no. And crying. And I I I felt I literally felt my heart breaking to five pieces. You know what I mean? It's I was like, I just broke I, I my- yeah, I <laughs> god damn it. Like I I knew this was a possibility, but I I thought we were in the clear here, you know? Um and so we were all kind of like sitting in silence and like kind of just letting her work through it. And I'm like, I like was like, are you okay? And she's like, I don't want to watch this show anymore. Oh man. And I was, uh, I felt so bad. Cause I was just like, dang, yeah, this is a, this is like one of the worst moments in all of television. Like that's 100% valid. We don't have to yes. watch. I was like, we don't have to watch anything else at all. If you want, I can just tell you what happens to people. We don't ever have to watch this again. You watched a bunch of it already. We got to bond over it. We got to, laugh and and see some crazy stuff in this show and it's it's important to me and you and you gave it a shot and that's great right right and different people uh, have different constitutions for these sort of things and yeah that was rough and and then i'm like sitting and reading and then she was like it's the next day i was sitting down reading and she's like hey uh we we keep watching it if you want oh nice (laughs) so we're already in the season five yeah because uh I mean, it's just such an amazing show, and so. I, but we we did it with like the caveat that like, <clears throat> if there's anything like super bad, you know what I mean? Like, a, there's an episode in season four involving the Viper and the Mountain. Where I was going to say, <laughs> has there been any season? Yeah, because like that part is like pretty grisly, you know. Like, there's yeah. some more messed up parts, and it's like it's it's difficult because like I don't know exactly like to the minute or to the second. Right, you just kind of remember happen. them as they happen. Yeah, so there's been parts where I've just like. Like things are kind of mounting up, and I just pause it real quick. I'm like, okay, mounting like, up, nice. Yeah. Well, we'll use words. <laughs> um, so yeah, like the the viper and the mountain episode at the very end. You know, um, I hope you turned the volume down on that one. I just yeah, I just muted it and like told her like, hey, just look away for like. 30. I'll just tell you what happens, um, and then we can move on because this is like pretty brutal. So uh, grisly. Yeah, um, man. What an amazing show. I'm really excited to watch. I'm going to rewatch House of the Dragon with her too. And um, I've been kind of like, I don't know. I've been, I feel like I've been kind of building it up. You know, I'm just like Game of Thrones is great, but House of the Dragons is like art, you know, right. <laughs> <It's> so silly, <laughs> which is I put, so them, I put them on par with each other. I think House say, of the yeah, Dragons yeah. takes a little bit more like lead in terms of awesome because there's so much dragons and they're awesome. Yeah. The dragons really lend a lot to House of the Dragon. You know, totally. dragons oh, a Game of Thrones, but yeah, you're gonna have to warn her the last episode of yeah. with the dragon chase. Yeah, I know. Where it's like it's, we're all in the clear. Oh, that one's not that bad. That one's not that bad. And then it, yeah, but I mean, I don't it, think anything really compares to the red wedding. I really don't. Like, no, no, it doesn't compare at all to that scene. But it's still brutal. Oh yeah, and I mean, even yeah, there's. It's funny. We were like driving back home, and um, we were kind of talking about it, and she's just like, I just, everybody I like dies in this show. Like, every single person I care about has some kind of brutal, horrific death, and I'm sick of watching this. And I was like, that's 100%. Yeah, like, no, you're, Aria, that's what though. the show is. But it's like, <laughs> I was like, trying, I, I almost like tried defending it, and then in my head I was like, that's kind of what the show is, though. I yeah, mean, it's totally. just like one horrible thing after another until the worst like season of television ever created. So, yeah, right. I mean, it's kind of not that great, but, um, and then I kind of started, I was like, but House of the Dragon, you would love it. Like, it's really great. And she's yeah, like, you know, it's super great. <laughs> and she was just like, well, it, aren't there like really messed up parts in that too? And I was like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty messed up. Like, it's pretty bad, but nothing like the Red Wedding. I, I would, I would at least venture to say like, there's nothing in House of the Dragon that even comes close to like the Red Wedding is a lot. 
Like, it, I, like I remember reading it. Like I remember where it was when I was reading it. Um, and so, you know, reading it beforehand and like knowing what was going to happen in the show kind of helped. But it, like, you don't know anything going in and then like seeing it like visually. Which oh, season yeah. is that? It's, uh, season three, episode nine. Man, it's crazy that it happens so deep into the show. Yeah. She's not wrong. So many people that you care about die during that scene. And it's just like, it's three seasons in. So like they've done so much back work on making you care, love, know these characters. And then all of a sudden just like a that's, that's why it's such a great wave. I don't know. That's why it's such a compelling show and such compelling books and such a great story, though. I mean, I know that the word like subversion became kind of a meme with that show, you know, because mm. they were just constantly like, how can we subvert this? How can we subvert this? But I think like Martin in the 90s was subverting a lot of trends in fantasy when he was writing that series. And one of those trends was like, if you've got a character that's going this long into your story, you probably shouldn't kill them, you know? Right. Like Martin Plot was armor. just like, I'll kill whoever the hell I want to. Like, this is, yeah, yeah Callan Stark no is not is safe. safe. Yeah, nobody's safe. And, um, and obviously, like, Grimdark books had existed before Song of Ice and Fire, but I think Song of Ice and Fire did a number on the genre and, like, really kind of propelled it into the popularity that it is. And uh, I think one of the reasons why people enjoy those kinds of stories despite how dark and depressing they are is because they're not like other fantasy stories and because nobody feel it feels like nobody's safe and it feels like you want to get attached to people, but you shouldn't, you know, those are visceral emotions to feel while you're reading something. And Martin really taps into that. And the show does it just really well, like really effectively yeah. to the point where um, my poor girlfriend was curled up on the couch sobbing and I felt Aww. horrible, but you know, we're good now. So, yeah, 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 that's that's good. You're through the weeds. Um, I remember <laughs> yeah, we you like describing it to me and being like, "Yeah, she just you could see her slowly deflating and then being left just crying." I was just like, "Oh man, it's one thing to have all your favorite characters destroyed. It's another thing to have like one of your favorite people destroyed by the scene." You know? <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, but um, you know, it's funny because I felt so bad about the red wedding thing, but I think I'm going to feel even worse about just all of season eight. You know, because <laughs> yeah. I've I've like tried. Even my roommate, we were upstairs. Um, making some food and my roommate came in and we, she was like, what are you guys up to? And so we're watching game of Thrones and she's like, Oh, are you on season eight yet? Cause season <laughs> eight's terrible. And I, I feel like I've communicated as well as I can without spoiling just like how disappointing that season is. But I still don't think like my communication about it is going to do it justice. Like it's just that bad. And I almost feel bad. Uh, knowing, bad writing. Yeah. Like, and I, I I don't know. I do. I do take a certain kind of like sick pleasure in seeing her disappointment in some things, though. Not with the red wedding stuff, obviously, because I was like truly like kind of traumatic. But like, um, you know, just really validating. At just the with, least. like like seeing her uh, as somebody who is a huge fan of the books and a huge fan of the show and stuff. Like seeing her kind of react to things that like I know are coming up um, that are very are extremely surprising. You know what I mean? And not even just deaths or like violent parts, but just decisions that people make and like ways that conversations go and revelations and things like that. Um, there's a lot of twists in that show and that's what keeps it going the way that it does. Like apart from the brilliant visuals and acting and music and sets and everything, you know, obviously there's a lot that goes into that show, but I would say the thing that kept people coming back to it was that they never knew what was going to happen in every episode. There's just, you have no idea on your first watch mm -hmm. of the, or read through or whatever, you know, anything like no like one is every, safe. Yeah. No decision is too ridiculous. No, not at all. But now that I've ranted for a really long time about Game of Thrones, I think it's time for the fictional fun fact. Wonderfully so. Never prevent your rants, Evan. Oh, yeah. I, I'll do it. Okay, fictional fun fact of the week here is one that I uh, 
like, actually, as it strikes near and dear to my heart. Terry Pratchett, famous for his creation of Discworld and the stories that take place within, is in fact an avid gamer himself and lover especially of the Oblivion series. So much so... Elder Scrolls? Yeah, Elder Scrolls, yeah, and Oblivion, specifically that game, yeah. So much so that he has gone so far as to become a modder and active in the modding community, (laughs) as that game (laughs) is famous for giving players access to (laughs) mod it. So for those who aren't maybe avid video gamers listening to this, modding is the builders of the game give you creation to the like tools they use to create the game. Because um, they typically create like a platform, like a, a little, have all the building blocks. Here's all the dressers available to them. Here's all the textures for walls, um, that sort of thing. And then you can go in and kind of build whatever world you want, add on to the game. And then you like import that into the game. So it becomes part of the greater um, game overall. And so the modding community is pretty famous in the Elder Scrolls series as you get like access to their whole building block their whole library and you can just kind of go to town build whole side quests characters and get as deep with it as you want there's things like people have created weather for the game that you can import and just really cool stuff um and his modding terry pratchett's modding went specifically to add in which is no surprise here characters and like depth of backstory to kind of make the world feel more like lived in you know i love that i know cool how cool would it be playing to play a Terry Pratchett, Pratchett mod or just a Discworld video game in yeah. general? That'd be amazing. I, um, yeah, I read a thing in a modding community that was telling him, like, you should make the Discworld out of this. And he was like, yeah, that's maybe a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bunch. Yeah, that'd be way too much work for him because he was like writing books, obviously. Prolific, yeah. That's really cool to hear, though, that Terry Pratchett was just geeking out on Oblivion. I know. That's your favorite Elder Scrolls game, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's I don't hear that very it often. like it like peaked, you know, for me like the I don't know, it just was like good enough graphics to where I was like, okay, whatever. And then the depth of the world was pretty fleshed. Well, it was very fleshed out, but like, you know, you had to do a lot of reading when it came to the characters. You have to do a lot of work. Of, yeah, yeah, you have to do a lot of work to experience it properly, but they had some really cool um add-ons to it. And then um, it was just it was just awesome and fun. And I got to play it on the computer, which was a lot of fun. And it, it was great. I love that game. The music. Oh, I'm definitely a Skyrim guy myself. Uh, I like Oblivion. I've beaten Oblivion. I think it's great. Uh, but I don't know. It's just a little bit too like floaty for me. And so is Skyrim. Don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, the combat what do you mean system, by floaty? Like when you hit something. It's like oh, it doesn't yeah, feel yeah. like you hit it, really. You know what I mean? No, just, like you're just you're just grinding numbers down. You know, totally. Which makes totally. Sense. I mean, that's what those games are. Obviously, that's just. Um, <clears throat> speaking of Effie, uh, when uh, I introduced her to Skyrim and she loved it immediately and spent hundreds of hours, <laughs> it was a <Yeah>. lot. <clears throat> we were a Skyrim household for a second, but I remember when she was kind of just getting into it, and she was like, "I don't, I don't really get like what all of the. There's so many like." There's so much information here. Like there's so I don't and I was just like, okay, you're just it's just number manipulations. That's all it is. Like if you right. really if you think about it in a certain way, like um, because she was she was like observing me play it, and I was I was shooting somebody that was attacking me with a bow and arrow, right? And they were like right up in my face. Right. right. And she's like, why don't you just use a sword? Like, why would you use a bow and arrow right here? 
I'm, I was I'm like, trying to get better with the bow. Right, yeah, I'm trying to, <laughs> yeah, and it's like I'm trying to get my numbers up with the bow. You know, my Why numbers are, you are jumping low. everywhere. <laughs> See, that's only in Oblivion where you can get the uh, the ability to kind of like fly around. Uh, they took yeah. that out, so that's why Oblivion's pretty cool. And I'm sure um, Terry Pratchett <clears throat> was really into that too. Is that I feel like Oblivion's a little bit more malleable than Skyrim is. You know, there's a little bit more freedom to it. Skyrim kind of came in and like put the bumpers up. Lock that game way. down a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, One of the first I like things it, I though. did by like my second or third playthrough was I would go in and the only mod I would make was to change my character's like dexterity. I forget what it was called, but I think it's dexterity score, the thing that allowed you to jump yeah. and survive fall, uh, long falls, yeah. which was always kind of a problem, but and change that to like real high so yeah. I could jump like, like you're going, you're flying. You're basically oh, flying. flying. Yeah, yeah, I could go hundreds of, of <laughs> like like maybe even like a few miles in the yeah. game like half the continent just but you, you know read, you do fall to, and die <laughs> do you read the books in those games sometimes okay sometimes i, I do too yeah. every book yeah. i look at everyone because totally. some of them give you skills but like oh, yeah obviously. sometimes i get lost in them and i'm like there is some super nerd out there who wrote this <laughs> yeah and some i have to give him a little employee. bit of respect yeah. yeah and some of them are it's like 15 20 pages long it's yeah. like a little short story yeah they're cool some of them are yeah. and some of they really expand on the lore of like elder scrolls lore is pretty deep you know Holy there's a lot there uh and so like the lore of like tamriel and the wars that have been going on like the succession wars and um like everything with like the old married dominion and things like that and um the way that the kind of like geopolitics of these different countries and lands work on this big giant continent. And like, it's, it's there. You just got to totally. kind of dig through it. Um, dig but then it, some yeah. of the Which books, is cool. Uh, Cause man, you can kind of do it as much as you want or as little as right, you want. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good way of putting it into the game. But, um, you know, some of the books are pretty boring too. Oh my god, They're not, they're not like great. You know, it's like, oh. a, it's like a catalog of somebody's like, fishing habits or something you know and yeah or like a, the okay. diaries are the worst yeah the diaries well it depends if it's a diary that's really related to like a main quest that you're doing those are fine i, I like reading totally. those because it's like i feel like i'm it's, it, it feels much more like a role-playing game where i'm like okay so i'm on this quest and the, oh maybe there's some information in here and sometimes it's like make sure to check behind this waterfall for this chest then you really wouldn't have thought to look behind it so you kind of like kind of mentally just store that away until you, they until award you. you do yeah exactly but I mean, you know, that game, uh, I put a lot of time into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, at like one point, I, like, cleared a building <clears throat> and made it my own. And then I, like, took the time to, like, arrange all of the, like, um, what's the Dwarven? Dw- Dw- Dwerger? Dwar- Dwemer. Dwemer, thank you. I had all, like, the Dwemer gear and stuff. Even the sets that I couldn't use for my class. And I would, like, put it up on the wall. And it was all, like, organized. You, like, walk into this epic room. It was, like, the lootiest of lootiest houses. Oh, yeah. So it was just great and it was just done for my own like satisfaction to stand there and be like look a full set of Dwemer armor <laughs> so uh, before we head out here um, I just want to ask you while we're talking about all this stuff and this just kind of occurred to me but uh, when do you think Elder Scrolls 6 is going to come out I feel I like know. Elder Scrolls 6 is like the the doors of stone or winds of winter of the video game world or like you know what I mean or yes, it's like yes. Portal 3 it's like a joke at this point Right, I was like, it'll come never. Um, <clears throat> boy, I hope soon because like Oblivion. But I mean, okay, here's the thing, right? Uh, Skyrim. That's the latest one that came wow, out. 2011. 2011. 11 it is still ago. a sixty dollar game. It is if you 
it, okay, so it is and it isn't. So it is if you buy if you buy it on like a Switch when it's not on sale, or if you buy it like the the newest like updated version of it on Xbox or PS4 or whatever, you can usually find it on sale for like twenty bucks. Oh really? I've, I've it should seen be it cheaper like in the stores, and I'm like sixty dollars still for a twelve or eleven year old game. A twelve year old at this point, you know, it's just like impressive. So I don't know if they're trying to milk that cow for all it's worth they might have another year or two you know and then like the modding communities are still pretty pretty strong so like i don't oh I it's don't like know, one of the but... most popular games on steam it's still yeah. like one of the most popular games on there so yeah it's i think crazy. it's gonna be a while and their like, new game man, starfield is coming one. out yeah that, that new game starfield i think is coming out this year at some point um so it's like i don't know like skyrim or fallout in space is kind of how they're selling right. it um and i mean those okay. games like, it's all right. Yeah, those games, you know, in their credit uh, to the 12 years that it's been are so detailed. Like you can move every object. Yeah, pretty much. Like yeah. you can interact with everything in those games. You know, albeit some of them a little clunky and your hands aren't always involved. You like lift up a rock and just like floating in front of you yeah. or whatever. But uh, it's still an impressive level of interaction. I know I see a bunch of criticism that like Skyrim is terrible. Here's a four hour video of why it's so bad. And it's like, I mean, that's fine. But, you know, um, it's still one of the most downloaded games on Steam and people are sinking hundreds and hundreds of hours into it for a reason because it's one of the most fun sandboxes that there is. So, I mean, hopefully Elder Scrolls 6 comes out within the next few years. That'd be really cool. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Fallout games. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, really good. I think it's time for us to get out of here. All right, let's do it. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode and making us part of your Monday morning or Tuesday morning or whenever you're listening to us. We really appreciate you being here. I think we should probably go read some books because we have a really packed month of February and March even ahead of us. We have a lot of stuff coming out for all of you. We've got some announcements coming. Uh, thank you so much to our patrons, of course, and thank you to everybody listening. Hope you all have an excellent rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody.